In today's episode, I bring to you a guest who I know from years back when I went to Bible school. We went to the same Bible school to the, together. He was the younger brother of one of my dearest, dearest friends that while I was there. And he actually just wrote a book called Learning to See. It's a top bestseller on Amazon, and it is for photographers. He is a world-class photographer, celebrity photographer. He has a really cool story. Um, and he's built a multi-million dollar business, just profound business savvy ideas that God has given him. But he shares his story in this episode of how he had a whole different plan for his life. And there was a tragic accident that he knew destroyed his ability to fulfill those dreams and how the Lord pivoted him into the dreams he didn't even know he had for his life. It is an exciting, uh, moving powerful, touching story. So you're not going to want to miss it. And you're not going to want to miss his life hack at the very end. It's going to make you giggle. All right, let's jump in. Hi, you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenna Lee Samuel. On this show, I bring the simplicity of hearing God's voice into everyday life in a no-nonsense, authentic, and super practical way. With coffee in hand and real life in our faces, let's do this. Thanks so much for joining me today at Java with Jen. Today's guest is actually a friend of mine from years back who recently wrote a book that has a riveting story behind it and will also be a great resource for any of you who are aspiring or current photographers. But my guest, David Molnar, uh, is a celebrity and advertising photographer, a believer, and a family man. His work has been seen on millions of Pepsi cans in People Magazine, on American Idol, and in the New York Times. His clients include Google, Pepsi, and Sony, among many others. He feels so blessed to be realizing his dreams and is now focusing on being a photography mentor with his business. He's helping tens of thousands of photographers pursue their dreams by creating world-class photo education, inspiration, and resources. Now, I wanted to have David on. That's a very full bio. David, thank you for coming <laughs> to the <this> show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks for reading all of that. I was like, wow, I should, I need to have a condensed version of this because that's that's kind of long but <laughs> I yeah, know thanks so much for having me on yeah absolutely I know it's hard to capture everything that we end up doing in our lives in a short concise way but so you guys are probably thinking like why are we having a photographer on Java with Jen so here's the deal I met David way back in Bible school right after college his sister was my accountability partner she was in my wedding and so that's kind of how I met David but he had recently uh, posted on Facebook that he'd written a book and was looking for a way to get in front of people. And me knowing that David is a believer and I know God was woven into this story. And so I wanted to find out more of his backstory. And then the more I talked with him and learned about how his life trajectory changed and how he walked that out, I was like, this is inspirational for all of my listeners. So that is really why I'm bringing David to you today. So David, um, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your book. And then why don't you just dive into how you got to where you are today and the role that the Lord played in all of that? Yeah, thanks so much for having me again. I'm I'm happy to <clears throat> happy to share this this story and a little bit about the story of this book and all that stuff. The book is called Learning to See. It's specifically a book for photographers or anyone who's interested in photography, whether they are an Instagram husband and are forced to be the photographer, <laughs> you know, um, or if someone wants to, you know, pursue it as a a way for you know just passion or the therapy of photography. 
um, photography played a big role in, in some therapy uh, at a crucial time in my life. We can get into that in a little bit. But I, the subtitle for the book is A Photographer's Guide from Zero to Your First Paid Gigs. And the goal for that is that it would help anyone who's interested in photography pursue their dream. So whether it's for passion or for profit or just to make your wife happy taking pictures of her, you know? <laughs> Because that's the so, thing yeah. these days. It really is. <laughs> it is the amount of poor, poor Instagram husbands that I see around. I live in a beach town and there's always like, oh. you know, some girl that wants her boyfriend or whatever to, to take a picture of them. So it's that's pretty, great. Pretty fun. So, so now you shared with me uh, when we talked a number of weeks ago um, about the fact that you didn't start out aspiring to be a photographer, but you felt called in a very different direction. And there was some yeah. kind of tragic things that happened that redirected the course of your life. So why don't you dive into that a little bit? That's right. Um, when I was 18 years old, I was a senior in high school. I had just gotten my pilot's license um, a month before. I, I was on my way to being a professional airline pilot. That was the goal. I was going to work for American Airlines or something mm -hmm. and, you know, be an airline pilot. And that was kind of my dream, you know, to travel around and to do that sort of thing. And I was also an undefeated wrestler. Um, and that was kind of my ticket to get college scholarships, to get out of the small town, to pay for college because my family didn't have a ton of money. And I knew I was either going to have to take out massive school loans or, you know, do everything I could to get a college scholarship. Mm. And on December 24th, so Christmas Eve, um, I think the year was 2002. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I got into a head-on collision where each of us were going over 60 miles per hour. So it's kind of like hitting a brick wall at 120 miles per hour. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know how it happened. Um, and I woke up in the hospital with the nurses telling me it wasn't my fault. Wow. And so at that moment, I looked down and I saw this massive, like my knee is just split open and it doesn't work. Okay. My other knee is like in a lot of pain. My ankle is, you know, as black as my phone case right here. Wow. And, um, and my whole body ached and I just knew that I was not, uh, ever going to wrestle again. And so the interesting thing was I was two months into my undefeated year of, you know, being a wrestler of my senior year in high school. And the second two months were the, the final, like after, like after Christmas was the next, you know, the final two months. And I watched the rest of my senior year of high school of the wrestling season um, from a wheelchair. And it was at this moment that I realized like all my dreams are like shifting, like every, everything that I've been working my butt off for, for the last four years is not going to come to fruition. I'm not going to get the college scholarships. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to win the state championship. Like I was aspiring to, you know, to do. And just like all of my dreams came to a crashing halt on that day, Christmas Eve, you know, what a great Christmas present. Yeah, no kidding. And honestly, I was, I was pretty broken and I, and I didn't know what to do. And it was really this moment when I was so mad, so frustrated, so heartbroken at this point in life, but I was thankful for my life because there was people saying I shouldn't be alive. Wow. You know, there was this moment, um, we'll call it about a year prior to the accident where there was a missionary lady that my parents supported over the course of the years. And she was visiting town for whatever reason. And she dropped by in this, the most disgusting looking car I'd ever seen in my life. It was this 
old mustard yellow rusted Volvo station wagon. It was despicable looking. <laughs> and she walked in the house and was talking to my parents. And she said, I feel like God is telling me to give your son, David, my car. And I'm like, thanks. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, like, you're just trying to get rid of this thing. So someone else can like, so you can beg for a new car, like missions and stuff like, you know, like I saw people taking advantage of people anyways. And, and so I'm like, you know, like whatever. And my parents were like, okay, we need an extra car. And they sent the Nissan Sentra, this little, you know, small sedan with Melody, your friend, uh -huh. uh, my older sister off to Texas. Uh -huh. And, um, and I got stuck with the mustard yellow 1981 Volvo <laughs> station wagon. This car could buy beer. I couldn't, I was only 18, so I couldn't buy beer. Right. Or actually I was 17 at the time. And, um, and then what's interesting is the Volvo station wagon is one of the safest cars in the world. It's known to hold up in crazy things. If I had been driving the Nissan Sentra that I was currently driving prior to this lady giving us this disgusting looking car, I would not be talking to you today. Wow. It was at that point, maybe a little later, I remembered like this lady said, God told her to give me that car. I think that car saved my life. Wow. Yeah. But I was heartbroken. And I, I, you know, like I, I watched the rest of, I watched the guy that I, that I beat in high school. Now we're not talking about WWF wrestling. We're talking about actual competitive wrestling, you know, like mm -hmm. it's a sport for real. Mm -hmm. And uh, I watched the guy that I beat win the state championship. Mm -hmm. And that was heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm like learning to walk and all these different things. So I ended up taking a year off and going to the Bible school that you talked about. And then in that, in that school, in that internship, it was a, it was a great business model because we paid to be there and work yeah. for them, which yeah. was like, right. it's a great business model. I need to figure out how to do that in my own business. <laughs> um, but it was an amazing year, met a lot of amazing people like yourself. And during that year, I got really encouraged to pursue a hobby of mine, which was mm -hmm. photography. And during that year, there's a lot of things that happened. But during that year, I got really encouraged. And I thought to myself, maybe, maybe I should pivot from, you know, my dream of being an airline pilot. And maybe I should pursue this crazy artistic profession of photography instead. Mm -hmm. But the, the interesting thing is I didn't think you could make a living at it. I didn't think it was possible to make six figures being a photographer. It seemed like all the photographers that I knew were broke or struggling or, you know, were doing it part-time or as a passion thing. Mm -hmm. But I remember thinking at the time, like, if anyone can figure it out, I have enough like tenacity and like, uh, like when I remember there was this business in my hometown that said like, you want to be a photographer? He's like, that's a tough lifestyle. Like that's a tough, like he kind of, I mean, this is this multimillionaire guy and I, and he wasn't trying to be rude or disrespectful mm -hmm. or, or even discouraging. He was kind of saying, you know, like trying to be a professional photographer is like, you're probably going to be struggling and broke for the rest of your life. He's like, wow. you might want to con consider a real profession, like being a realtor or a banker or something like that. And I just remember thinking like challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, right. like, um, I actually was just thinking, I need to, I need to call that guy and just kind of tell him, tell you him. I remember him should. saying that like 20 years ago <laughs> and it kind of lit a fire under my butt to be like, I'll prove you wrong. You know, right. even though he was being nice, he wasn't uh -huh. being respectful about it. So That's yeah, that was kind of the, that was the transition for me just to, to like, even just deciding to pursue a path in photography. Now you had shared with me that you started pursuing photography, but then you ended up kind of floundering and feeling a little lost in it. And the Lord directed your steps at a pivotal time before you got married. So why don't you go into that? After I spent a year, you know, interning with this nonprofit where we met, 
I, I, I followed this girl that I liked to Nashville and we were engaged to be married. And she was, you know, she was involved in the music industry. And I kind of, when I moved to Nashville, I, I kind of, I got the chance to intern and assist other photographers. And when I was on those shoots, I kind of, uh, I got exposed to a level of photography that I wasn't aware of. Mm. I was, you know, you know, cleaning toilets, carrying sandbags, setting up lights, you know, setting up backgrounds, you know, doing whatever, you name it on the sets of like, you know, photo shoots for Taylor Swift or for Carrie Underwood or all of these different, you know, people. And there would be, um, you know, sometimes 20 people on set to take a picture of one person. Mm -hmm. It was a ridiculous amount of setup, a ridiculous amount of work and a ridiculous amount of effort that would go into it. I mean, the makeup artist would have an assistant or two to help carry the makeup bags, you know, wow. then there'd also be a separate hairstylist. And then I was maybe like on this first shoot that I got thrown onto, I was the fourth assistant. So that means there was three other assistants <laughs> to the photographer. And then there was me, you know, wow. uh, and I got exposed to this whole like level of photography that I was like, wow, great, incredible photos that are on magazine covers and album covers and advertising campaigns. These photos are not accidentally shot in the perfect light with, with someone who has a great hair day, like hair day, <laughs> right? These are incredible incredibly intentionally crafted stories that are images that are a single image in the end you know and I realized at that time like holy crap I know nothing uh, you know because wow. I had shot some concerts for this nonprofit and like had some some cool early wins that I was thinking I was hot stuff and I realized like wow I know I know nothing this this is it this is who I want to be mm -hmm. I want to shoot album covers and advertising campaigns and I realized like, I had no idea like how to even come close to the level of photography um, that they were, that they were, that these photographers were creating. So during the time that I was engaged, I took a break from my assisting, you know, lifestyle of assisting other photographers. And I went on this two month road trip around Mexico. I'm engaged to be married to my wife, Tammy, and we're planning a wedding in my hometown and there's lots of details left. And I said, Hey babe, I'm going to take a two month road trip, like guys trip. Uh, just the two of like, just me and my buddy, like you're going to stay here and work <laughs> full time. Um, I know I don't really have a job and I don't really have any money, but any money that I do have, I'm going to spend it all on this trip oh and gosh. then put a bunch of money on a credit card um, and go leave for two months while you plan the wedding, the rest of the wedding's details. Um, is that cool? Like you can plan it by yourself in my hometown <laughs> where you know, no one, you know, like, and there are so, so many lucky people that, that like, you're married right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's so many people like, are you sure you want to marry this immature Jack? Hey, eh? you know, like, they're like, this kid is not like, I don't know. You might want to reconsider this. And I don't know. They was, it was a little rocky there. She, she barely hung on. So I went on this trip and it was an amazing, like coming of age, you know, journey. Like it was a man trip, like a wild heart, you know, John Eldridge type thing that I needed to do. And, uh, and was it a wise decision? Like, not necessarily. Did it have a good outcome? Like, yes, I think so. I think it was worth it. But there was this moment about a month in when I've already like depleted all my savings and probably went a couple thousand dollars into debt just to pay for gas and, you know, all the expenses on this trip. Like halfway through this two month trip, by the way, and I'm somewhere in mainly in Mexico. We drove all the way from Nashville to, El, uh, to San Diego and then all the way south down Baja, California, you know, camped surfed every day, spearfished for dinner and ate cheap, cheap tacos, um, you know, like while we we're traveling and stuff. 
So we took an 18 hour ferry ride across from um, La Paz to Mazatlan on the mainland and then started heading south. Somewhere, I don't remember where, on the beach in mainland Mexico, not a soul, not another human soul in sight. The gravity of my situation started hitting me, you know? And I'm like, I have no money. I'm engaged to be married. I spared the details, but I had, I had several mortgages and no job and only my like, um, you know, my wife with a salary that wasn't really that substantial at the time, um, maybe to a 20 or 21 year old kid. It sounded, it sounded interesting to me, but, um, but it wasn't really that substantial at the time. And I remember thinking and like wrestling with God and thinking to myself, like, what the heck am I going to do? How am I going to support my family? I mean, it was just me and my fiance at the time, but I'm thinking like, how am I going to support my family when I get home? How am I going to pay all these bills? And, um, and I, and, and I wanted to, I wanted to, um, to shoot these new out, al- these album covers, this new level of photography that I had gotten exposed to. And I remember God telling me on the beach, like, I want you to shoot weddings. And it was like as clear and as audible as I've ever heard. And there's nothing wrong with wedding photography. But the issue is, is I had a dream. Yeah. Like I had this new dream of pursuing this, like this level of photography that you see in the magazine covers and album covers and everything like that. And I finally, I didn't understand how to do it, but I understood that there is a whole other level that I need to learn and I need to pursue. The other thing is I was listening to a lot of self-help books, a lot of, you know, preachers and teachers and, and uh, reading books like thinking grow rich by Napoleon Hill, listening to the strangest secret by Earl Nightingale and all these things. And they all basically said like, in order to be great, you need to have a definiteness of purpose to pursue a worthy goal. Okay. A definiteness of purpose. You have to be 190 freaking percent all in on a specific goal in order to achieve greatness. And my mom and dad told me when I was a kid that I was destined for great things and that God had a plan for my life and that I could do anything that I felt called to do. And I naively or wisely or something believed them. So when God's telling me to pursue weddings, I'm thinking like, oh, like this is not the thing that I want to pour my whole heart into and the rest of my life into yeah. shooting weddings. And I'm wrestling with God at this point. Like this is like the, probably the most audible um, I've ever heard God. It wasn't out loud. It was inside. But the point is, is like as clear as I've ever heard God. And he is like, yes, these teachings and these preachers and these, you know, mentors that you're listening to um, are reading are right. You do need to have a definite and purpose, and you do need to give it 190% and go all in on whatever it is that you're pursuing in order to be great. But what you're not realizing is that you can pursue this for a season of your life, not the rest of your life. Mm. And I felt like God was asking me, give me five years and pursue wedding photography with everything you have. And I will, I will, um, you know, fulfill dreams that you don't even know that you have. Okay. And I'm like, kind of like crying on the beach, like, okay, I'll do it. You know, like, but I still didn't have any, you know, prospects to shoot wedding photography. I hadn't shot a real wedding before. I had like tagged Alana along on some other ones, but I never gotten paid, like never gotten hired to officially shoot a wedding. And, um, and I was like, I, but I still don't have any weddings booked. And I felt like I was like, I'll work it out for you. Don't like, don't stress, like just be faithful. Mm-hmm. So shortly after that, um, uh, Sarah 
um, her now her name is now Peed. She went to Teen Teen Mania, the Bible school that we went to a long time ago, as well. And she contacted me like, "Hey, would you shoot my wedding?" And and I was like, "Yeah, I'll shoot it." You know, like great. And um, and it was one of those things like, "This is my opportunity. Like, this is my shot." You know, and this is that her wedding was June twenty fourth, two thousand and six. Mm-hmm. So I go home from Mexico. I get married on May sixth, and then a month and a half later, we shoot this wedding. My wife and I drive from Nashville to somewhere in Virginia, I forget, somewhere like outskirts, like Podunk, Virginia, somewhere. Uh-huh. And we drive all night, get three or four hours in a hotel room, like get, you get to the hotel room, like two or 3 a.m., sleep for a few hours, get up at 8 a.m. and like go shoot this wedding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I poured my heart into this, like everything possible into preparing to be a wedding photographer. I was looking at magazines and I was tearing out like, okay, that's a good pose. And this is a good lighting situation. Didn't know what I was doing, but I did everything I could. I read a book on wedding photography. I did all these things that like everything I could possibly do to prepare. I show up with a folder and as we're shooting her wedding, pouring 190% into it, I'm like getting these tear sheets from the magazines out and be like, no, 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 no. Like holding it up in front of my face. And then like, tweak like no tweak your arm this way like using the the magazine cutouts as like my example and like I mean Uh you know they they were gracious enough to not question you know I was probably trying to sneak it but it was pretty obvious of like no no pose this way right anyways long story short like we knocked it out of the park my wife wasn't shooting with me but she was logistics and all that stuff and we're you know a month into being married so she was very gracious to to go on this adventure with me and um, they ended up loving the pictures to this day. I still think, I still think they're, you know, considering all things considered, I think they're great photos. Mm-hmm. And we ended up booking, I forget the exact math, but I think it was like seven other weddings before the end of the year. And that first one is in June. So wow. already halfway through the year. Wow. But then that it started paying our bills and like matching my wife's salary just for that second, the weddings that we shot the second half of the year. Mm. Um, and and then then we started traveling like people that same year people started flying us to places and we're like mm-hmm. wow this is cool like and then by the next year we're flying to you know Malibu California and Miami Florida and New York and someone flew us to Greece to wow. the island of Crete and we got to shoot a wedding you know in the tropical waters of Crete in the, you know in August yes and please by the way, <laughs> yeah and paid us more than we had you know like about four times what we had um charged for that very first wedding wow. so it was one of those things where it was like i was like holy crap god like you are really fulfilling promises and remember i wanted to be an airline pilot it was because i wanted to travel and uh-huh. i had no like my perception of weddings were um you're going to get paid four or five hundred dollars which sounds like a lot but not when you consider the months of prep oh, time yeah the, the three weeks of editing after the fact, you're like, yeah. it's not like if it was 500 bucks for one day of work, sure. It sounds good, but it's not, it's months. Right. Of work. Okay. Right. So, and by that estimation, I would have to shoot 60 weddings a year to make $30,000. Oh, you know, like, like that's, that's a, a lot. There's, there's only, there's only, you know, 52 weekends a year. So it was like every weekend and some weekends you're gonna have to double. Uh, Here's my point. Um, God blessed us. And it became this incredible, um, this incredible opportunity. And for, for years and years, like we, you know, we got to shoot weddings. I want to also mention one other thing. When I was wrestling with God on the beach in Mexico, I forgot to add this detail. I was walking along the beach and this was like February or March on the Pacific coast of Mexico. And I see these like thousands and thousands of like blue whales or humpback whales, I forget which type, Mm -hmm. 
there it was just this crazy phenomenon apparently where they like come that time of year to like either have their babies or nurse their young or whatever there was a ridiculous amount of 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 these uh whales and like you know this amazing water was spouting up from you know like from their blowholes and they were coming in really close to the shore to almost like a bear would scratch his tree his back on a tree they were like rubbing their bellies in the sand and it was just like one of the most majestic things that like i've ever seen and this was i was watching this you know taking a watch watching this while i was arguing with god you know mm-hmm. that that time when he told me to shoot weddings yeah. okay so fast forward a few years later my wife is able to quit her job we've mm-hmm. traveled the world and shot weddings in switzerland multiple times like i said and like in malibu and canada multiple times like other exotic destinations we were truly a husband and wife wedding photography team my wow. wife started shooting photos as well and we ended up having um, like a blast paying off all of our debt. I remember us having about $40,000 of crap debt, not including the multiple mortgages mm-hmm. and like being able to support our lifestyle. We started making six figures in that second year of shooting yeah. weddings. And not that it's all about money, but like we needed to make money to survive. And it was like, yeah. God provided all that. Okay. Wow. So then my wife exits her job which she loved, but like it was time for her to exit her job and for us to go, you know, full-time as like, you know, in the photography business. And we take a two month sabbatical on the Island of Oahu in Hawaii. Okay. And, um, and we're there and I do a, I do this photo shoot, um, while I'm there that helps pay for the thing. It was, it was a cool opportunity. And, um, and then we take some downtime and we read books on the beach and it was this magical time. And I remember looking at the Pacific ocean one day as we're sightseeing and I saw all these whales and I was like, man, this is crazy. And there's like all these whales and like, it's different. It's a different environment, completely different place, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and then all these, like, you know, those water spouting up from the whales. And I just thought, man, that's so magical, majestic. Like the last time I saw you know, like this many whales together. It's so bizarre was in Mexico and holy crap. That was five years ago this month. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like it was that moment where, where I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's been five years. God told me to commit five years to this. And he would bless my socks off and fulfill dreams that I didn't even know that I had. And I'm just like, I'm still got goosebumps all over. Every time I think about the story is mesmerizing to me. And I felt like God in that moment told me five years to the month later, like your time is up. You can transition out of shooting weddings and start pursuing your dream of photographing album covers and advertising campaigns. Wow. And it was just like, my wife, we had paid off our debt. We had gotten to travel the world, had a lot of fun. I you know, we, we earned money had built up my arsenal of photography equipment, had learned a lot of things, done a lot of test shoots during this time. Mm-hmm. And like, things are like starting to, to happen on the commercial side, but I felt like a, a switch to where like, you can pursue commercial photography now. Mm-hmm. So then, I mean, it was just this mesmerizing thing of like, holy crap, I was, I was faithful and God's blessed it, you know? Wow. And then, um, we got the opportunity to photograph, um, the, the band, uh, Skillet. And, oh, yeah. you know, after years and years of working my butt off and knowing this band, because my wife worked in the behind, like in the, the management side of this, they gave me a shot to photograph the band Skillet. And, you know, I'd been practicing for years and building up, you know, building up all these things. And like I said, many years prior to that, I was, you know, getting coffee and cleaning toilets in these photo studios. And a lot of these record label execs and all these things are there in these shoots, but I'm the little assistant and they don't pay attention to me. Okay. Right. So I get the opportunity to photograph the band Skillet, just like I did with that wedding, with Sarah's wedding. I worked my butt off on it and I gave it everything I possibly could. And 
the the album went on to sell like two million copies. Wow! It was their best selling album of all time, and all of a sudden, the Nashville music industry knew my name. Wow! And then the phone started ringing off the hook. Um, and then it was let's photograph newsboys and mercy me and Matthew West and all these other people and shooting album covers for all these different types of people. And it was, um, you know, it was as if I had arrived overnight, you know, like, and I'm, I'm re-meeting these, you know, the, the, the A&R guy at the record label, like, Hey, I'm David. Nice to meet you. He's like, yeah, it's so great to meet you. Very good things about you in the last few months. I'm like, cool. Yeah. We met four years ago and I cleaned the toilet right after you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't tell them that, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, yeah, right. I got you coffee. I, I, you like almond milk. Like I, you know, I remember uh. that, you know, but they don't, they don't. And I just, I mean, I, I was, I was not making them feel bad. I just like sure. reintroduced myself. I'm like, yeah, right. David, nice to meet you. So it's interesting though, is, is like, you know, being faithful and, you know, pursuing the path that God had for me, yeah. I was able to really like achieve my my dream wow. but there was this there was this pivot there was this time where i had to i had to like essentially pay my dues and, and be faithful during that time yeah absolutely so wow you guys isn't his story just so moving and so inspirational there's some things i want to pull out from his story that uh, i feel like will encourage you if you think through his journey so many of us have experienced the same thing where we had our eyes set on something our goals set on this big dream and somehow some way it unravels does that mean our eyes were set on the wrong thing i don't know that that does i think as we walk through life i don't think that we should think through the perspective of right and wrong so much as <clears throat> options. Like he could pursue anything he wants to. Like God is not a, um, God's not a puppeteer that just pulls the strings and we just do the things and we have no say in it. We see throughout scripture that God has a relationship with us where we can even change God's mind. But there are still times where we'll have our hearts set on something and it just doesn't work out that way. And that's just life. I don't think that comes down to right or wrong, God's plan, not God's plan, whatever. That's just sometimes how things play out. And sometimes that's the result of decisions that we make that um, cause us to miss an opportunity or get disqualified from something or whatever. But God is so big and he's so good at taking situations, using them for our good. God's plan B is never just second best. God is so big that his plan B can often be better than plan A. And so even when David was looking at pursuing piloting and pursuing wrestling, he could have had a great life doing those things. You know what I'm saying? But what happened happened. And so what became important was how he pivoted and allowed the Lord to shift him. Now, I think it's pretty instrumental that when he decided to kind of just pull away and heal and kind of nurture his heart, he didn't go and like, develop some bad coping techniques and bad habits to do that. He actually went and, in, and invested into himself and into his relationship with God, which I think is one key that's really important. When we're walking through hard times, disillusion times, or, or having to grieve the loss of something, it's actually really important that you take time to pour the word of God back into you, however that looks, whether it's time at church or going through a, a Bible course or or going through it just a Bible study or just walking with a friend through a Bible book or I don't know, whatever it looks like, 
making sure that you're pouring truth into your heart because ultimately we want to walk in partnership with what God wants to do in our life, right? And it is possible in those moments of of trauma, of hurt, of disappointment, the enemy, and not to make it more dramatic than it needs to be, but the enemy is watching and waiting for opportunities to derail and disrupt our lives. That should not introduce fear, but simply a shrewd wisdom that we want to be strategic in those moments. We want to be intentional. Um, Just simply getting the word in and being surrounded by believers and people who are going to encourage you, pray for you, walk with you is huge in those times. And so one that was super smart and was actually the time where the Lord pivoted him and gave him the idea, hey, maybe I should pursue photography. And ironically is also where the first doors of photography were open to him. So I think that's interesting and worth noting for sure. And then if you notice throughout his story, there did come a point just like with Abraham and so many other people that even with the photography, he still had to lay that dream down also. So not only did he have to lay down the dream of of wrestling and piloting, which I mean, I don't think he had to lay down piloting. He just chose to kind of pivot. Um, he had to lay down the the road of photography that he wanted to pursue. And so many times when we when we feel the Lord asking us to lay something down, we fight him on it because we feel like or we believe the lie that God's taking something from us. But in reality, God knows what's best. He knows the things that we're going to need. He knows the tools that we're going to need to do what we need to do successfully. And he was asking David to trust him without laying out the whole plan. We're not entitled to an explanation. God just says, I need you to trust me. Because the beautiful thing is, sometimes if he's to give us the whole plan and the whole explanation, we get our hands all in the mess. We screw it all up. We try to um, you know, decide what's best. And, and, and that's just human nature. And God knows that. (laughs) And so he's like, Hey, why don't you just trust me? And he'll put a path in front of you and ask you to just be faithful on that path. And so that's the second thing I want to point out is that David was faithful with what the Lord asked him to do, even though it was not something that thrilled him in his mind in his natural explanations he didn't see and even the people around him couldn't see how that was going to be a really fruitful path but he had a word from the lord and the lord said give me five years and go all in and that's where the faithfulness was he went all in he didn't half heart it he didn't just you know casually say oh i'll just give it a try no he went all in as though it were the thing that was central to his heart. And it was his all in attitude that actually opened those doors. I think the Lord blessed the humility that it took for him to embrace a plan that was not his original plan or David's original plan. And he chose to go all in, which was just an obedient spirit. God, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble, which means divine opportunity, divine empowerment but he opposes the proud. If David had had an attitude, then he probably, the Lord would have just kept him looping on the situation over and over until he could have humility. Praise God for David's sake. He chose humility and he chose to embrace what God wanted to do with his story and trust the Lord. And so he didn't lose a bunch of time. 
And so I feel like it's uh, one thing that I've learned in, in walking through some hard seasons, seasons where I felt like I couldn't trust God, um, you know, and it's, and it was never a hundred percent didn't feel like I could trust God because I still found that my instinct was to still go to the Lord for direction, but emotionally there was some wounds and disappointments that made me, that I knew there was walls I had put up just subconsciously in my heart towards the Lord. And that does sometimes make it hard after hardship, um, to trust, but it is a decision. It is a, it is a choice. And I look back and I think I'm so glad that even though I wrestled through the emotions of alert, of choosing to trust, that my actions were that I still trusted. And I was honest with the Lord, processed things, asked all the hard questions, you know, and, and he was so kind to meet me where I was, bring confirmation, bring reassurance, bring the things I needed to, to continue walking in trusting him. But even when you wrestle with trusting the Lord, that ultimately when we lay our plans aside and walk with him, knowing his plan that is in play, he sees so much more than we do, then God can turn things in our favor in ways that we never could. And, you know, it's same as with our kids, you know, hey, buddy, you don't know everything that I manage as a as the runner of this home. You know, you don't know all the f- adult decisions I have to make, all the finances I have to consider, all the adults my decisions impact, all the you kids my decisions impact, the future things. You don't know all of this, but I need you to simply obey when I say do this. And that's really where the Lord is. He He has all the factors in play. He knows all the things. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to burden you. With all that knowledge, I just need you to trust me. And so if you find yourself in a difficult season where you feel like a dream has died or um, something you were aspiring to just suddenly got pulled out of your hands, do not lose hope. Because as we saw in David's story, which he didn't mention, but he runs a multi-million dollar business now. And it's, it's huge. And the Lord gave him some unique ideas so that just being a photographer was not his sole income, but he, he had some really great business ideas that allowed him to expand to the level that he has, that he has. And that's all just because I believe he continued to walk in response to the Holy Spirit, walk in humility and walk in faithfulness. So let me encourage you guys with those principles. Now, he, unfortunately, we lost the recording of where he shared his life hack, but I'm going to share it with you guys. It's pretty funny and you're going to laugh <laughs> that this life hack is coming out of my mouth uh, if you guys know me at all. But, you know, it's going to apply for some people and it, it's pretty brilliant and just makes you chuckle. So don't go anywhere. We've got his life hack coming right up. Okay, so David's life hack was this. Listen, he figured out a long time ago, especially as he was building his business, he said it's been about 10 years that he's been implementing this. And I can verify it is true. Um, He decided that when he was... When he was an early photographer on the scenes with all these famous celebrity people, he was trying to be really fun and funky and cool with his clothes, kind of have a real artistic vibe and would try to always wear something unique and stuff. And he realized that it was just exhausting for him. He just didn't want to exert the energy to figure out how to dress the part. And so he decided, you know what? He kept finding himself going back to the same blue V-neck t-shirt that he loved with khaki shorts and sandals. And that was his favorite combo to wear when he would get home. And he was like, you know what? Why don't I just wear this all the time? 
Why don't I just wear it all the time? It'll just make life easier. I won't have to spend my energy. So he literally owns like 40 versions of the same blue V-neck t-shirt. And he wears it, he mixes it up, whether it's khaki shorts, khaki pants, jeans, whatever, black jeans, whatever, depending on the weather. But you will see him most often in that blue v-neck shirt. Now he said he does throw on sometimes like a button-up shirt or a whatever for church, his wife, or for a nice date, his wife will have him dress up a little bit. But, um, but as soon as he's able, he will take that thing off and put back on his blue t-shirt. Now it has become part of his branding because in all of his book covers, you see him in that blue v-neck t-shirt. And anytime you see him, he's in that blue v-neck t-shirt. So it's actually kind of become part of his brand, but that is his life hack. Find that one thing, that one outfit that works for you, what what I call as a stylist, your go-to uniform, and he rocks it every day. Now, as a wardrobe stylist, I don't know that I would ever personally recommend someone do this, but you know what? If your life is, is streamlined in such a way that you're like, I just don't want to put the energy into it, you know what? Go for it. Do what works for you because your clothes are there to serve you, not to enslave you. So that was his life hack, which just made me giggle when he shared that as like a serious suggestion. I was like, are we joking right now? He was like, no, I'm very serious. This has actually saved me a lot of energy. (laughs) So that was his life hack, the blue V-neck t-shirt. So uh, you guys make sure you check out his book, learning to see it's on Amazon and pretty much anywhere you can buy a book. It is a top uh, bestseller. And so it's way up at the top of the charts. It's incredible. He shares in there more details of his story as well as, again, like he said in the episode, it's the practicals of basically helping a photographer get started um, to build their business and do what they love to do and make it like an income. And so go check it out. Listen, thanks so much for joining me for this episode, you guys. And next week, you guys are going to want to come back because I have an interview with an author called, her name is Tiffany Yecky Brooks, and she wrote the book Gaslighted by God. And it's really about how to walk through when your faith becomes disillusioned, kind of like off of his story, when your faith is challenged and hurt and the formulas that you've been taught at church aren't working (laughs) like they should, if you will, um, for life to work for you or God to move on your behalf. And what do you do when you've been praying for a healing and that healing doesn't come? What do you do when you've been praying for a child and you miscarry? What do you do when your faith is challenged so hard, you feel like you've been gaslighted by God? She shares her story and she shares she's a PhD and is very, very uh, knowledgeable and educated in this. And she's done tons of research. We had a great conversation. So great. We stretched it into two episodes. So that's the next two episodes. If you've ever been challenged in your faith or feeling like, why is this not working for me? What is wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. And we're going to help you understand that in this episode. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. Otherwise, go uh, friend me on Instagram at Java with Jen. That's where I love to communicate with you guys. Um, And go check out the merch store, javawithjenmerch.com. And otherwise, I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, hey, it's a really great way to stay in touch. 
Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Also, don't miss our merch store where you can get super cool Java with Jen swag and coffee. Find it at javawithjenmerch.com. Until next time, remember, hearing God's voice is simple and he wants to be a part of your everyday life. See you next week.